Well, hi. hi. <laughs> For those of you who I have not met, my name is Greg, and I am um, the Reverend Greg Pelly from um, the Unitarian Universalist Society of Mill Creek is where I serve. It's down in Newark, Delaware. But why I'm here is because the Reverend part of that Reverend Greg Pelly was you all. I was the first. <laughs> yes. I was an intern here, one of the first interns here at Wellsprings, and this congregation generously uh, ordained me a couple of years ago. And um, I can tell you it's been this amazing journey for me. And so much of what I got when I was here, what I learned from all of you, um, I am now spreading out into the world, into, uh, into other Unitarian Universalist congregations, and um, I am so grateful for that. Dear Santa, (laughs) it's been nearly 40 years since I've written you. The last time I did, I undoubtedly handwrote in my very best penmanship a list of worldly desires from the Sears Christmas catalog along with a reasonable defense of my goodness over the prior year, I would seal that list in an envelope, drop it in the box outside the little temporary hut they had erected for you on my town square in the little town in Illinois in which I grew up. Letter delivered, I would then stand in line at the entrance to that hut to take my turn visiting one of your helpers, one of the ubiquitous lookalikes with whom I would engage in that ritual performance of asking for what the letter had clearly already outlined. (laughs) Even at a young age, I knew the whole lap sitting in candy cane receiving was purely a bit of ascetic kitsch. It was fun, but merely symbolic, a mere photo op to commemorate the moment. It was the letter that mattered. Because it was the letter that you, Santa, would personally read. It was the thoughtful consideration that you would give my list of wished for games and toys as seen on TV and whose relative value was debated amongst my peer group. Of course, the letter was never a guarantee that I would actually receive everything on that list. Because we all remember that great stretch Armstrong disappointment of 1976. (laughs) No, no, even then, even then, I knew that the letter was simply an articulation of my hope. An articulation of what a future life for me would be once the ribbons and paper were torn apart and I had spread the bounty of Christmas before me. Of course, that future seemed to depend a lot on material stuff, toys and games and entertainments and delights. By seven years old, I had learned through careful observation that joy and contentment were derived from possessions. Okay, turns out I was wrong on that point. But the boy in the red flannel footy pajamas those many years ago 
would have had little, little evidence to the contrary. But then something happened 35, 40 years ago. Those seeds of doubt began to sprout in my mind. Questions of existence, yes, your existence, Santa. But also, ultimately, niggling questions about God and Jesus and a whole host of other people whom I had been taught about and whose stories didn't quite add up to the realities of life experienced through my mind and my body. That voice of wonder and hope that I had listened to for those first several years of my life began to fade to new voices. The voices of judgment and cynicism and fear. Those voices became louder. And unbeknownst to me at the time, as those voices began to dominate the open heart of my childhood, the one that felt everything and imagined even more, the one grounded in wonder, it began to close. You know, I cannot recall when my heart first opened. I'm guessing that it happens at birth. When we take our first breath, our first inspiration, when we feel the touch of human skin on our own and when we rest our ears on our mother's breast and hear the familiar heartbeat, that rhythm we've been dancing to for months. I don't know for sure if that's when my heart first opened, but I do know when it closed. I'd asked perhaps in a letter to you, Santa, or at least in my mind I had asked about it, about your existence. Now, at the time, I didn't have any really good understanding of existence other than I knew that my mother and my father and my sisters, they all existed, the house we lived in, all the stuff that existed, trees existed, sparrows, they existed. All of existence depended on whether I could see it or hear it, or touch it. My questions of your existence were answered with silence. And so the doors of my heart clicked shut. And I stopped writing you. The voices of judgment and cynicism and fear reveled in their success and they threw a party. They threw a party, and it was one of those parties that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun, when, but, but when you get there, it's really just a lot of noise. One of those parties where the room is packed full of people, but none of them are really connecting with one another, and everyone keeps getting louder and louder in a desperate desire to be known and to be loved. And at the end of the party, I always somehow felt more lonely than I did going in. That's the party judgment, cynicism, and fear through when I stopped writing you. Santa, since then, I have learned a few things about these voices. The voice of judgment, that's the one about my intellect. That voice in my head that knows lots of really great stuff. 
and has really well-reasoned opinions and conclusions, the voice of deep analysis, the voice that protects me from having to truly wrestle with the possibility that I could be wrong. Voice that protects the status quo and in so doing suppresses creativity. And then there's the voice of cynicism, the one that doesn't trust anyone but myself. It's the one that protects me about, protects me against being a sucker, you know, of being or even appearing to be foolish. That voice is a great protector of my heart. It ensures that the doors of my heart remain closed and locked and that I will not ever be vulnerable. And then there's the voice of fear. And that's that's the one that protects me from losing all that I have. That protects me from losing everything that I have in my life. And fear, that's a strong protector. The problem is it keeps me from surrender. It keeps me grasping to hold on to my life as it is. And theirs is this party that I have been going to for decades, each time thinking that this, this would be the one time, the one time where hope would arise from the noise and the sweat and the booze and the disconnection, that something real would emerge from the den. But it never really did. Because, as it turns out, for something real to emerge, I have to surrender. I have to be vulnerable. I have to wrestle with the fact that I could be wrong. And so... These many years on, I write again to you, dear Santa. I write because I am needing something from you this Christmas. Courage and hope. And if you can swing it, four tickets to Hamilton. Santa, I am nearly certain that you are well aware of what's been going on here around me and in this world over these last 12 months. Suffice to say, there's a growing dent on my desk where my head keeps banging every time I read the latest news. I'm supposing, Santa, that you probably have a similar dent on your desk and the attendant bruise on your forehead. I've noticed, Santa, that we've all been sort of walking around with these marks on our faces, bewilderment and dislocation, yes, the big three, the marks of judgment and cynicism and fear. And into that space, we keep ratcheting up the noise, leaving ourselves ever more disconnected and alone. This year, Santa, this year, has broken my heart in a way that all the prior ones have not. 
I don't think you need a review. The names of the dead alone would take me hours to list. Dead too soon, too violently, lying there in the combined poisons of indifference and overwhelm. And those names would just be the start of my heartbreak. At Santa this year, I have learned something about heartbreak, about hearts breaking. There's this Quaker educator and author, Parker Palmer, who teaches us that the heart can break in a couple of different ways. It can break apart, shattering into thousands of pieces. And as our hearts break and shatter into thousands of pieces, we come to anger. Those persistent voices of our intellect, our mistrust and our fear, they try to tell us that our lives will never be better and probably worse. And so with a shattered heart, we disengage in life. A heart that has been broken apart, that has been shattered, perhaps can be put back together, slowly mended. Never quite what it was. Of course, a shattered heart, or we might say a shattered humanity that has been repaired is ever more fragile than it once was. We of shattered hearts that have been mended, find ourselves protecting them even more. Never again, we assert, never again. Or, Parker Palmer tells us, the heart can break open. And in breaking open the heart, our humanity can begin to hold the complexities and contradictions of human experience. Breaking open the heart builds capacity for compassion, for empathy, for a richer, deeper, larger, more whole kind of life. A transformed life, a resilient life, a life of hope. But I must confess that this year, my heart has been doing more of the breaking apart kind than breaking open. And perhaps this is why I've decided to write you, to ask for courage. Courage of that open-hearted sort that Brene Brown writes about. Courage to be vulnerable Courage to risk being fully myself with my darkness and my light. The courage to actually feel the pain of my heart breaking open. James Baldwin once wrote, he wrote, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. I take Baldwin's thought further. Perhaps we cling to judgment and cynicism and fear so that we don't have to deal with the pain, the sorrow, the loss, the loneliness, the discomforts of being a whole human. 
So I ask you, Santa, can you slip a little of that courage into my stocking? I also ask this year for hope. After the recent election, I've been trying to find hope, not just for myself, but for the many people who look to me to deliver them hope. And not the kind of hope that says, you know, everything's just going to be all right. That doesn't seem to work. Nor the kind of hope that is really just sort of a well-regulated optimism. No, I'm seeking the kind of hope that Reverend Victoria Safford wrote about when she talked about hope. She said hope is a, the kind of hope that is in a different, sometimes lonely place of truth-telling about my own soul, first of all, and its condition, the place of resistance, the place of defiance. The place from which I see the world both as it is and the world as it could be, as it will be. The place from which I glimpse the struggle, but not only the struggle, I glimpse the joy in the struggle. The kind of hope evoked by the sick activist Valerie Kaur a couple days after the election went on an interfaith prayer call. She said, the future is dark. But we can choose to believe that this darkness is not the dark of the tomb. It is the dark of the womb. She goes on. She says, what if? What if our America is a country still waiting to be born? And the story of America is one long labor. What if all the mothers who came before us who survived genocide and occupation, slavery and Jim Crow, political oppression and sexual assault. What if they are all standing behind us right now saying you are brave. Then perhaps right now in this time. We are in a great contraction. Before we birth a new future. So what do we do? Valerie Carr says, what do we do now? She reminds us of the words and the wisdom of the midwife. Breathe. And then push. (laughs) Because... Because soon it will be time to fight for those we love, the Muslim father, the sick son, the trans daughter, the indigenous brother, the immigrant sister, the white worker, the poor and forgotten, and all of those who stand in fear and judgment and cynicism. Yeah, that kind of hope. That kind of hope is what I'm going to be looking for wrapped in shiny paper with a little pretty bow on it right under my Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Santa, you can deliver that, can't you? Santa. Santa. The American, the American playwright and poet 
Dan Fonte once wrote a poem that I thought I'd share with you. He wrote, for years, I thought that talking to the gods was an exercise done privately under unforgiving distant stars, ridiculous, unrequited prayer done by staring at old, cold books with mean, small print. But then I discovered that just ain't it at all. God can be found in the thank you voice of the guy at the counter of the supermarket or the quietness of a train of a stranger's parking lot smile or the rattle of weeds across a dry summer Mojave or watching my unfettered fingers jump, jump, jumping across the computer keys deep in the middle of typing three hours worth of unscrubbed truth. God, for me, turned out to be a conscious choice, a self-evoked experience just like love i ran across that poem again recently although i've held it with me for probably a decade i guess i was moved to share it with you because it speaks of my wishes if god and love are self-evoked experiences perhaps courage and hope are as well And I suppose that a Christmas wish for anything worth having, peace, transformation, love, compassion, healing, and especially right now, courage and hope, perhaps that is too much to put on your shoulders, Santa. Too much to carry in that sleigh. So maybe I'll take those on myself. A kind of gift that can only come from that place of wonder that I used to dwell in before I stopped writing you. You you see, Santa, I know some people whose hearts are seeking much the same as mine to be broken open wide and not shattered. They are people who gather together in large groups and small to practice what this being human is all about. They gather to charge themselves with the charge of the soul. So you know what? I think I'll invite them into that self-evoked experience of God, of love, of courage, of hope. And I think I'll teach them the wisdom of the midwife when she says breathe and then push. So, dear friend, I'm sorry it has been so long since I have written you. I guess I finally chose to take my heart, which kept getting shattered this year, and piece it back together. The glue I used is called wonder. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff because it's the kind of glue that will let my heart break wide open for that richer, deeper, more resilient life. Happy Christmas. I will write you again soon. With love, Greg. And P.S. Those Hamilton tickets? 
would go a long way to mending that whole Stretch Armstrong fiasco. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray together. God of this life, God of this breath, may we gathered here be grateful for this day, grateful for the souls that we can reach out and touch next to us and around us. Grateful for this interconnected web of people of hope, people of compassion, people of joy. May we rise together with courage, rise together knowing we are not alone. Rise together in love and go forth into this world full of shattered hearts and begin to mend them with wonder. Amen.